Thank you, Kevin. I was uh, I had a music stand ready to go, but I think this is a little more solid. So if I start shaking, this might help out better than the music stand. Am I on, Luke? Can you hear me? Okay. Can you guys hear me? Good. Good. So before we get started, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll kind of dive into a short sermonette on Jonah, and we'll kind of look at uh, some of the stuff that the kids already talked about, but also dive into a couple different aspects looking at God's mercy. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the excitement and the joy of the kids. I thank you for all those that helped with VBS And, Lord, we ultimately just want people to know about salvation through your Son, Jesus, and the joy that that brings. And we just have to remember that a lot of times life is not easy, but if we remember that you're there for us, we can have second chances just like Jonah. So I pray, Lord, as we just look into Scripture a little bit more, that you would speak to each of us. And uh, we just thank you for the love that you have already shown us and that we would see that as we go into, uh, as we dive into this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So in thinking about uh, a mercy, a couple things kind of came to mind for me. If you're a baseball fan, I played baseball back in sixth grade. I played one year, and our team was not great. We were called the Milkmen. You know how much fear that strikes into people's <laughs> minds. Oh, we're playing the milkmen. Oh, but there, there were several times where we didn't like this, but the mercy rule came into play, and that was when you were down by 10 runs. That was not because we were winning. It was because we were losing. And so, unfortunately, we were the benefactor of that. Another aspect of mercy that ended up coming for me was uh, when I'd be wrestling my brother, and I'd have him in a headlock, and I'd say, you can say mercy at any point. Nope, nope, not doing it. And eventually get to a point where he'd say mercy and then I'd let go. So the, those are two ideas of mercy, but not, I don't, the, those aren't what God had in mind necessarily, but um, just two things that I thought of when, when I was thinking of this. So in thinking of mercy, it can have uh, qualities of forgiveness and a compassionate love. God's mercy is shown by how he is withholding from us the wrath or punishment that our sins deserve. Or he is bestowing something that we desperately need but feel undeserving to ask. There are three connected concepts in scripture that describe kind of the merciful character of God. And these I'll probably butcher how you say them in Hebrew, but the Hebrew chesed is mercy. Chen is grace, and Rukum is compassion. I'm no expert on Hebrew, but those three kind of interworked together, and I, I think you can kind of see that in Jonah, and you can see that in general, that those, those three, mercy, grace, and compassion, a lot of times work hand-in-hand hand and together. And thinking about the Old Testament, Simply put, Jesus the Savior is coming. If you boil down the Old Testament, not Oil Testament, Old Testament down, it's God's mercy is being unveiled and that Jesus is coming. And once we get to the New Testament, it's Christ's life on earth and that he's coming back. 
And that's God's continued mercy that we become a part of as believers. And before we get to Jonah, one more thing. God's first time of mercy on mankind, if we can kind of think of that, that's clear at the beginning in Genesis 3. And that's the mercy that God shows Adam and Eve after they've sinned. They show compassion on God shows compassion on them by giving them coverings so they're not their shame is covered. And so from the beginning, after sin enters through Adam and Eve, we see that God does show mercy. So if we kind of jump into Jonah, I'm I'm not going to be reading all four chapters of Jonah, but there there's just different verses that I wanted to look at as we kind of look at aspects of mercy. So if we look at the first three verses of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So we have Jonah, he's the son of Amittai, he's a minor prophet from a town near Nazareth in the northern kingdom of Israel. So there's ten tribes that were part of the northern kingdom. But in this sense, he's being sent to speak outside of Israel. He was not speaking to people within Israel, the ten tribes. He's being told to go to foreigners in Nineveh. And what was wrong with Nineveh? It was a mighty Assyrian capital probably one of the largest cities in the world at that time, 600,000 people. They were powerful, wealthy, spiritually corrupt and evil, though. And it may be a bit of a reminder of the wicked and sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis in the days of Abraham. If you kind of look at that in Genesis chapter 18, I'm not going to go there, but Abraham's questioning God. He's like, if but even ten men are found faithful in Sodom, would those men be saved? And the Lord said, yes, they would be. And so that can kind of hearken to what's going on with Jonah in Nineveh. So Nineveh does not sound like a great place to go. 600,000 people that don't know God and uh, they're pretty much enemies of Israel. So would we be willing to go do that ourselves? I don't know. I I would not volunteer, but that's what God is telling Jonah to do. And one last thing about Nineveh, just kind of a side fact. Nineveh was founded by the great-grandson of Noah, Nimrod. And so there's a connection between Nineveh, even, and the Hebrews. But that's on the side. Okay, so jumping back into Jonah, if we go down to verse 6. We're looking at after they've already boarded the ship and things are getting a little hectic. So in verse 6, the captain went to Jonah and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. So the captain goes to sleeping Jonah and begs him to ask if he would spare them. And if he's a captain, he's probably somebody who knows the seas pretty well. And based on what this looks like, it's not a sea that he's seen before, and so he's like, you've got to help us. This is not something that we can handle on our own. So a little bit later, jumping on into verses 13 through 16, 
after Jonah says, yeah, go ahead and throw me in. Well, no, that's not what happens. So in verses 13 through 16, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So the men, these men, these pagan men, were even willing to spare his life. And yet we already know that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to spare anybody's life. He wanted to run the opposite way. And now we're seeing some pagan men that are like, well, we don't, we don't want to throw him into the sea because he may die because we're doing it. And so you kind of see an interesting contrast between how Jonah is reacting and how these, these men aboard the ship are reacting. So going on into verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So God is willing to show miracles in order to change people's perception of the world around them. God is in control of creation. And right here he's, he's showing that you know, these men threw Jonah overboard and here the seas just grow instantly calm. So that makes them realize, hey, God may be mightier than the gods we think of or know of. So Jonah goes overboard. He's sinking, he's sinking. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So if we think of three days and three nights, what what does that bring to mind from the New Testament? So Jesus' death of three days and three nights. And so we can see here there's already correlations if we're thinking kind of back to what I said about the Old Testament. Hey, Jesus is coming. Here, here's another connection between that where Jesus is going to be coming and this is a correlation to that. So in chapter 2, the start of it, so from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So Jonah continues to just kind of go through this lament and realizing, I made a wrong decision, God. And I think he has to be thankful. A huge fish came and swallowed him. This is the eastern Mediterranean Sea. There are not whales or large fish that typically are in that part of the Mediterranean Sea. And then it swallowed him alive. He didn't die because the fish swallowed him. I don't want to know what that kind of experience is like, but he was swallowed alive. So Jonah is in the fish, and he, he's lifting, just lifting up his burden to God and saying, okay, I realize that I made a wrong decision. So at the, long, at the end of Jonah's prayer, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah is submitting to God's sovereignty, and he is restored by being spit out onto dry land instead of being at sea. 
another part of God speaking to his creation, just Jonah being spit out of this fish. God is in control of creation. So everything's good now. So now Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So here we go. God already told Jonah a first time, hey, go. He didn't. So Jonah gets a second chance here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. This time Jonah didn't run away. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. So if you're thinking about that, so Jonah just had to walk three days. If you want to get from one end of the city to another, you had to walk three days. That's not him stopping to preach and proclaim the good news. That's just walking through. So you can imagine how much time that would have taken for him to proclaim the good news throughout Nineveh. So on in verse 4. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So the Ninevites, they heard the news, and it, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty short proclamation from Jonah. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. But through that, that's, that's all Jonah needed to proclaim for God to, to use his power to change the hearts of the Ninevites and even for them to fast. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. Do not let a man, beast, or herd, or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent in their compassion and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So they were being told that 40 days you're going to be destroyed. But even the king on hearing the news, God changed his heart. So God heard them and he relented. He's willing to show mercy to a big city of 600,000 people, including the king himself. And he did that even through one reluctant prophet speaking the truth. So now here we'll, we'll wrap it up in chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. So he went from proclaiming the good news to being angry and upset just like that. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That, that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I know, I know that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. We hear the real reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He knows God's character and doesn't want Nineveh Gentiles to experience mercy. So the Ninevites are outside of Israel who are supposed to be God's chosen people. The, 
the Ninevites are actually Gentiles outside of that. And so through this, God is saying, hey, it's not just my covenant chosen people of Israel. It goes beyond those borders. Jonah was perhaps one of the only prophets or evangelists that was angry that his preaching brought his listeners to repentance. Did you ever think of that before? He was angry and upset over that. And most times, everybody else was happy that who they were preaching to repented, but not Jonah in this case. So then Jonah goes out to wait for what God would do with the city. He goes out and sits and wonders, is it going to be destroyed? So after Jonah goes out and waits, we have the plant that God raises up to give him shade. And then also God brings a worm to eat that shade. And so we have verses 9 through 11 at the end of Jonah. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Even more so than a vine that provides shade is probably what God was trying to get across to Nineveh. So Jonah was more concerned for the shade from a plant than the people that God was wanting him to talk to. It's the exact opposite of God's concern at that point. So some some questions from the story we can look at. What will God do with a prophet who disobeys him? So Nineveh was where Jonah was supposed to go, and Jonah said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going this way. I'm not going that way. So we can see what God does with him. We have to be broken in order to see God's mercy and sovereign power. And Jonah was broken. He had to be tossed over into the sea and swallowed by a fish. Do you not think that is brokenness? (laughs) So God's power shines through even in Jonah's weakness. And it can be something that God can use even in our weakness. That his power shines through. Another question we can wrestle with, on whom will God have mercy? Just the Israelites or also the Ninevites and sinful people outside of his chosen people, Israel? God longs to show mercy to all people, including Gentiles. And that's something even the Pharisees would wrestle with in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees are, you know, they're arguing that there was no prophet that went to the Gentiles. But that wasn't true because Jonah went there. So like the Ninevites, God wanted to show mercy to people to be redeemed and saved from their sins. It's not just for his covenant people. And the same application for what God is calling Christians, it can be the same application for what God is calling Christians in the church to to today. We do have to take care of each other within the church by discipling and taking care of each other. But we also have to be willing to love others who don't know Jesus and who are outside of our body. 
His mercy and grace are that every person would be saved through Christ and become an adopted part of his family. Jonah also shows that we can kind of be our own worst enemy out of uh, selfishness, fear, and hatred were the thoughts that kind of Jonah had towards the Ninevites, and he didn't want to do what God was telling him to. But we can choose to respond to the opposite of Jonah. We can share God's love, mercy, and grace, kind of like those that did here in VBS. It's one way we can try and bear the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, and show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And hopefully that makes you start singing that song. So just some things that we can think of within our own lives. Is there something you need to get straight with God instead of running from Him or fighting Him on it? And that can kind of come and go at different times within life. Do you know the mercy God has shown you? Do you know the mercy He has shown others around you? We have salvation from our sins and new life through Jesus. It is sufficient. Be encouraged that He is a God of second chances. When we fall, He will not abandon us. And hopefully we don't have to fall into a sea for a fish to swallow us to realize that. Who is someone specific that God is wanting you to speak to or befriend so that you might see God's mercy? There's one guy at work that God keeps laying on my heart just to speak to and just to get to know his story. And maybe there's a neighbor or a coworker that God has been calling you to show mercy on just by hearing their story. Have you been fighting it? Or are you willing to kind of step out of your comfort zone and talk to them, speak to them? So the last thing I want to leave with you is just a quote from a Pure Life Ministries. It says, We are the recipients of great mercy. It is now our task and our great joy to extend His mercy to others, to family, to friends, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to a lost and dying world who needs a Savior. Amen to that. Let's pray as we end. Lord, we thank you that we don't deserve what you give us. We don't deserve a lot of things, but because of your grace, because of your mercy that you show us through Jesus, that we are given second chances, just like Jonah. Help us to make decisions through your Spirit that are guided by you the first time instead of the second time. So that way we don't need a second chance. But Lord, if we do need a second chance, if we need to be reconciled and restored to you again, that we would be willing, that we would be humbled to hear that. That we would be willing to listen to others. That we would be willing to share our story with others. what salvation means to us, what joy means to us, what a gift that is. 
And I just pray that you would put that on each of our hearts, that we would be willing to share that, to listen to others. Here in this church, that we would be willing to disciple each other, to help each other mature spiritually so that we can go forth from here to our neighbors, to our work. And sometimes that that means we have to go elsewhere in the world, but we also have that calling here locally, Lord. So I thank you for your spirit that speaks to us. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for being a father that uh, restores us when we come to you. Thank you for that joy. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.